Welcome to the Forward 40 Podcast, where we highlight the experiences of 40 women of color on the rise in the nonprofit and social enterprise sectors. This is an ode to our foremothers, a healing circle of our unique experiences, and a bridge of insight and wisdom across generations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Forward 40. Very excited to have the guest that we have in the guest chair with us today. We have Amina Doherty, who is a Nigerian Antiguan feminist activist. Um, she's also the founding member and coordinator of Frida, the Young Feminist Fund, and program director for the Caribbean uh, program for the Equality Fund. So welcome, Amina. Thank you so much for having me, Imani. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited. Um, I Full disclosure, when I reached out to Amina, I was like, oh my goodness, she is on the island of part of my ancestry. And yes, I need to connect with her. Um, she has great a great global uh, perspective as it is related to women and girls issues and um, also the space of philanthropy. So uh, Amina, I guess we can just jump right in, you know, like the little island of Antigua, which uh, a lot of people know as the island with 365 beaches <laughs> for wherever you want to go <laughs> each day of the mm-hmm. year. Um, and you've had quite the journey and access points as it, as it relates to things being uh, readily accessible and then also not necessarily going the traditional pathway in terms of work as it relates to the culture. Mm-hmm. So can you share more about what brought you to the island and also why you returned? And I guess in addition to that, like when when you're thinking about um, resourcing women and girls, what does that mean to do it equitably? Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. And, and lots of really great questions. Um, I guess from the very beginning, what brought me here was adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, um, my mom is quite the adventurous spirit herself and um, she had an opportunity here in Antigua and so we left Nigeria um, when I I don't even remember how old I was wow um, <laughs> but, <laughs> I was I remember that I was going into my first year of of high school um, and so we left we had lived in Nigeria up until that point and had also lived um for, for a little bit of time in the UK. Hmm. And so we came to Antigua. Um, we had very few friends. Um, she was friends with the family that um, she would be working with. Hmm. And and so we came um, and we didn't really know what to expect. I actually have a very clear visual of being a little girl sitting on that plane, landing for the first time oh in Antigua. I had, yeah. never been, <laughs> I had never been here before. And um, my mom had been several times um, and it was just an adventure. And, you know, I would say Antigua very quickly stole my heart mm. and has been the place that I have referred to as home for a very long time. Beautiful. Um, I have lived in the UK. I, I went back to the UK to study. Um, I have lived in Canada where I also studied and I've lived in different parts of the world, including 
in Kingston and Jamaica, where I lived for four and a half, almost five years. But I've always come back to Antigua. There's something about the energy of the space being very close to the beach all the time <laughs> um, that has that has helped, you know, that has, has kept me coming back um, and, you know, has always been home. Um, and now, you know, beyond having friends and family that live here, it, it, it is the place that, you know, I am raising my daughter who's two. So, so in many ways, Antigua is home. Um, and I would say that I, I got started in the field that I'm in now um, because another woman believed in me. Mm. Um, at the time, I remember being really interested and really committed to community work. Um, and I actually studied gender and international development, both um, at an undergraduate level and at a master's level. And I remember coming back and having an opportunity um, to work at the Directorate of Gender Affairs here in Antigua, which is um, the government arm um, that focuses on gender issues um, mm. nationally. Um, and I remember starting off as a research officer mm. and just being really interested to learn about the ways that women are organizing both in a local and national level, but also in a regional context as well. Mm. Um, and from there, I, you know, different opportunities came my way. I went on to work for a private family foundation in the UK. It was my first sort of foray into the world of philanthropy mm. um, and, and also from a global perspective, but it was something that I became really passionate and really interested in. The question, I remember there's an organization that I've worked for um, that at the time was posing the question, where is the, where is the money for women's rights? Mm. Um, wow. And that question has sat with me since since that time. Um, you know, where are the resources available to support uh, community organizing, to support feminist movement building, to support the work of women's rights activists um, in comparison to, to other um, other framings, right? So there's always money for education. Yes. There's money for particular health issues if you're looking in the context of the Caribbean at HIV AIDS and health. Mm -hmm. um, but when you look at gender justice, organizing and activism and movement building and the things that really, you know, center heart and mind, there's always very limited resources for that. So that's how my passion got started um, together with a collective of amazing feminists from around the world. Mm. We started um, Frida, the Young Feminist Fund that has gone on to become you know, such an amazing organization and something that um, many of us are eternally proud of. Um, and, and, and I've worked with many different uh, feminist philanthropic organizations um, around the world. And that kind of led me to the work that I'm doing right now as the program director and leadership uh, initiative in the Caribbean with the Equality Fund. Um, it's an initiative that is very close to my heart because it means, you know, bringing resources directly into the hands of Caribbean women activists as well as um, LBTIQ people. So I'm I'm very very proud and and excited to be working on this. It's a project that you know is um, is intended to to uh, uh, be carried out over the next four years. Oh wow! And Beautiful. Yeah. So so. Again, you know, it's a question of not only resources being available, but also to kind of 
look at it from a sustainable perspective, you know, how do we, how do we use this time to build a sustainable mechanism to support um, Caribbean women's movement? So a big mouthful, but that's who I am, where I'm from, and why I'm in the space of work that I am. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, And I definitely see, you know, just the thread of your mother's audacious move and how that inspired you to in a sense be a globetrotter in your work and it's going to be really interesting to see how things evolve for your daughter as um as she matures and she grows so thank you so much uh for sharing that um this you know like the the piece that you bring in terms of like the global context and specifically as it relates to the Caribbean region which um when most people are thinking about women's rights and women's issues. It tends to uh, be either, you know, U.S. focused, the global south um, mm-hmm. or Africa. And it's the Caribbean is not really at the forefront. So um, can you like share what you've noticed in terms of like a distinction around the issues that are within the region and um when we spoke in our intro call, you said that there's a lot of healing that needs to take place uh, for the movement to expand in the region. So if you could also elaborate mm-hmm. a little bit more on that. Yeah, I can I can speak to a couple of different things. I mean, I think um, one of the things that I'll just say up front is I think that regardless of where you are in the world, issues connected to, related to gender justice, um, and relating to women's rights and feminism really are centered in, you know, at the intersections of race and gender and class, sexuality. Um, all of these things, you know, are are issues that we we face in the Caribbean, but are issues that folks are dealing are grappling with globally. Like how how do we sit within all of the different intersections of who we are? And I think, you know, the Caribbean, unlike many parts of the world, I've done lots of work um, in Africa and working with African women's rights organizations. You know, all all of the issues that we face are really Mm -hmm. centered in our challenge against patriarchy. I mean, that to me is the root of all injustice. And so, um, you know, when we talk about issues that that women are experiencing and and face in the region i think regardless of whether you're a you know a, a young feminist organization using digital activism as a strategy of resistance or a well established grassroots women's organization you know the issues that we face tend to be centered around um, issues of, of violence against women. Mm. I think it's not something that's distinct to the Caribbean. It's something that um, is faced globally, is, is faced around the world. But yes. I would say as a region, it's something that we hear loud and clear that women are facing, whether it's, you know, domestic violence, sexual violence, issues around racial violence, mm. um, violence in regard to class. I mean, violence con- continues to be such a, a significant issue that, that is faced in the Caribbean. And I think I, I don't want to kind of label it as distinct, but I want to kind of just raise it up because it is something that's really, really important. And, um, you know, in the work that I'm doing, we hear from, from organizations across the board, whether you're based in Antigua, Jamaica, Guyana, St. Lucia, wherever, mm-hmm. you know, violence continues to be an issue that, that many organizations are, are faced with and are working um, against. And, 
you know, I think at the heart of, for me, what we see at the heart of all um, Caribbean feminist organizing, whether it be through academia and spaces such as the University of the West Indies, and I, and I really want to emphasize there's some amazing work that's being done in, in the gender institutes through the universities of the West Indies and mm. in places like Trinidad and Barbados. But what we see are women who are women and activists who are seeking to transform power. And, you know, that looks that looks differently in different contexts. And I think it's really exciting to see how um, how Caribbean folks are connecting and are organizing. You know, one of the biggest challenges that we face in the region is that we are so close to each other and yet we're so distinctly far, Mm. whether it be challenges around being able to travel to each other mm-hmm. to maintain communication. I mean, I think the digital world has opened up a whole heap of opportunity for yes. us, but just staying connected and staying um, linked into what's happening in the different places continues to be, you know, something that the Caribbean is uniquely grappling with, unlike in other places. And when we talked about healing, I mean, I would say, In the work that I've been doing over the past couple of years, one of the things that's that's very obvious is there are a lot of, um, there there are lots of areas where communication has broken down. Mm. And whether that be, you know, across generation, where, you know, folks are saying the new generation is not stepping up, or (laughs) younger folks saying, you know, the old generation is not doing exactly. (laughs) They don't want to let go of the reins, or whether it's, you know, disconnects between movements and you'll hear often folks saying, you know, the women's rights movement gets supported, but the LBTIQ movement doesn't get supported or vice versa. I mean, there's, there's, there are a lot of disconnects. And as a result, I would say that there is a lot, a loss of trust Mm. um, and a loss of trust in that we are all in this together and that we are all working um, towards a higher, uh, um, towards, you know, similar objectives towards a higher goal. For me, um, you know, the work that we do all has to be connected to each other. And so when I talk about healing, for me, it is, and through the work that I'm doing right now, it is about creating platforms and spaces where individuals, organizations, the people of the movement can come together, sit down, share, learn, talk to each other, you know, put up front the issues that we have with each mm-hmm. other. There's mm-hmm. a way we have in the region where we don't like to talk about things, you know, face on. Mm-hmm. Um, there are all these corridor conversations that happen. Um, but I think that if we are to move forward, if we are to address the challenges that we face in, in the region, and to be clear, the challenges are huge, whether they be violence or issues around economic security, economic justice, um, whatever the issues that at hand, I think the only way we will be able to address them is A, to be doing it from a regional standpoint. Yeah. So to kind of step outside our nationalistic identities mm, interesting. Um, and to really, really step into what, you know, a regional approach would look like, but also to, as I said, to just put up front and center what the issues are had Mm. um and to see how we move beyond them i think you know the work that we do is also frankly very exhausting 
um, when you're when you're dealing with these issues, you know, not only does it impact our bodies and the ways we, you know, physically interact and interface with each other, but also our mental health. And often that's not something that folks have time for. It's like mental health. I don't even have time to think about that. I don't have time to talk Mm. about that. So Mm. I think um, there's some amazing work that is being done and conversations that are being had that center mental health, that center our physical well-being. There's um, an activist that I follow in Jamaica um, called Carla More Talk, um, and she has been leading some really amazing conversations that, you know, are addressing addressing difficult topics, mm. um, but bringing together folks from many different spheres to have these conversations. And, you know, folks are tuning in. It's, it's using social media, using technology. Folks are tuning in and engaging. And I think that that's, for me, that's how I envision the future of the Caribbean women's movement is that we need to have these spaces and these platforms where we can talk with each other, talk to each other, um, and, and, and really kind of break down the things that have kept us from working more closely with each other. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Like that, uh, the nationalistic um, kind of like identity that's sticking out to mm-hmm. me very, like very strongly. Um, like I, I, I get uh, kind of like the, maybe like a hesitancy or a resistance to want to absolve all identities into, you know, just a regional context because it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. what's going to be lost from our unique history and at the same time there are also things um like what i hear right now and my spirit is like dismantling the ma- the master's house right like there are commonalities mm-hmm. across you know each um territory um that have influenced um the current situation for women and and girls in the region so um i, I guess I mean, as much as know, that's like at, at the it. forefront I mean, when you look at it from the perspective of even the the very the the moment that we find ourselves in right now in regards to COVID, I mm-hmm. mean, you know, I would say Mia Motley in Barbados has has masterfully um, talked about the way that the region needs to come together mm-hmm. and the way that CARICOM as a community needs to come together to be able to um, to to address the current moment with. That we find ourselves in. I mean, it's clear that we cannot go back to business as usual. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. most parts the Caribbean has been exclusively dependent on tourism. Yes, I yes. think that the current COVID situation brings to light that 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 cannot be the case going forward, and yes. that any approach, whether it be an approach to health and how you know we address COVID as a region or how we move move beyond the current situation i think the idea that we cannot go it alone Mm, the the caribbean can't there's no one country in the region that can go it alone the mere fact that in order to facilitate testing um you know we we have to send tests to trinidad you know the Mm. fact that um you know when we look at current issues in regard to lia um there's no there's no way that the anyone country in this region can go it alone really we have to have as we think about the future of of the region we have to think about it from a regional um perspective yes 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 and i guess connected to that like with your um the work that you're doing at the equality fund you're managing a project right now 
uh, that's dispersing 800,000 CAD uh, across the region. Mm -hmm. What, like, what's the, what's the purpose of this investment and what's your vision for the impact of it in the region? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you know, so the, the Women's Voice and Leadership Project is part of a broader, um, it, it falls under a, a broader program um, that is being funded by the Canadian government in support of women's movements around the world. Mm. And so the Equality Fund is working together with an organization called Estrella to support women's rights organizations and LBTIQ groups around the region. And yeah. one of the things that's unique to the Caribbean, unlike other places, is the fact that there has been such limited resources to support um, women's rights organizing and movement mm. building. Mm. And and it's very clear when we look at the state of the region and what's happening, um, you know, whether it be issues around violence, whether it be issues around, um, um, you know, climate justice, whether mm. it be issues, you know, around women in agriculture, whatever the case may be, it's very clear that the region is underfunded. Mm. And so this is really just a drop in the bucket by way of supporting organizations that are leading the work um, in the region. And so we're, we are supporting multi-year grants um, okay. that this year. Okay. Um, for the next three years, um, we're looking to support um, about 27 organizations around the region. Nice. Um, over the, yeah, over the course of the next three years. And these are organizations, as I said, that are, do, are using a, a, a broad range of different strategies but where the focus is on improving um on improving women's rights and lbtiq rights in the region so the investment is is has a very the portfolio is diverse um we're supporting groups that as i said are using things like digital activism Mm. um you know groups that are doing sex work um activism in the region we're supporting groups that are working on um, women's participation in politics or addressing issues around domestic violence. Mm. We're work, you know, we're working with um, organizations that are providing sexual reproductive health services. It, it's a really diverse portfolio of organizations. But essentially, the idea is to capacitate women's organizations with not only the financial support they need, because that's critical, but yes. also with capacity building yes, yes. Um, and training opportunities, helping organizations with simple things like financial management, yes, organizational yes, yeah, management, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. how, how do you support leadership within organizations and on top of that um, providing opportunities for network and alliance building Mm. and that goes back to the point that I raised earlier you know we won't achieve anything if we're not all seated in the same in the same room at the same table having discussions about how we how we envision the future of our region and so um, the, the funding the funding is, is for organizations to continue the work that they're currently doing, but then there's additional resources to build capacity, to support training, to support leadership, and to bring groups together to have shared learning as well. That is beautiful. Um, that capacity building piece is key. Um, it, it, as well as, as you mentioned, like the financial, like just to operate, right? Just to be able to mm-hmm. keep the lights on. <laughs> um, exactly. And, 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 <laughs> That's a really, really key part of the Women's Voice and Leadership Project because, you know, 
unlike other, there are donors that do not support core funding. Mm-hmm. And that's the mm-hmm. heart of what we support. Like we are supporting organizations to pay their rent, to keep the lights on, to yes. have a space from which to work from. We had um, a convening last summer here in Antigua that brought together 30 um, activists from around the region. And nice. folks, I mean, I think it was such a small percent of people who said mm-hmm. we have paid staff. You know, they said all wow. of our staff base is volunteer. That's wow. not sustainable. No, it's That's not. That's not sustainable. Wow. And so the, the heart of this project is to provide the core support that, as you said, helps organizations keep the lights on, helps organizations, um, you know, think about the ways that they can be sustainable beyond you know, trying to, to operate on a grant to grant basis. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and it, it's like the, it's like you, you mentioned the point of like mental health and just kind of like the, the weight of being in this work, um, whether you're in like in community as the organizer or in your position as someone who mm-hmm. um, is in philanthropy to support it. So, um, I guess as when when you're reflecting on some of your identities, you know, like your role as a mother, a community member, uh, an activist working in philanthropy, you know, like how does this inform the work for you? And have you been reflecting on anything in particular as it relates to those identities in this moment of of COVID, in this moment of kind of like a reckoning of Black Lives Matter, I would even say, Um has any any of those identities made you view the work differently as of lately? Mm-hmm. I think that the current moment really is a reflection of the failure of capitalism, a crisis of capitalism, and the fact that you know women women take on more than a double burden. It's a triple, quadruple. I don't even know. The burden is significant because you know you have children home um, and you're expected to entertain them, look after them, make sure they're all right. At the same time, for the, the, the few of us that are able to work virtually, you know, work continues to, to roll on. Um, and, you know, you also recognize that many friends, many colleagues are out of work because yes. we are, um, you know, pretty much entirely tourism dependent. And if there are no flights coming in, if there are no hotels that are open, folks are at home, folks aren't earning an income. And Mm. so you see, you know, you see how all of these systems um, are not designed to recognize and support the work that women are doing. Um, And, you know, as, as someone working in philanthropy, I would say that you also see the real need to invest in um, not only processes, but organizations that can really support community, right? Mm -hmm. And the fact that we, um, the work that we're doing is, is, is really intentionally about creating a better environment for people to live. One of the most amazing Guyanese feminists um, who passed away recently, and Gai, you know, had a central question, which was, how do we organize to live? And I think that that's, um, that's what this, this crisis is currently showing us, that we are, we are not organized, we are not set up in a way to ensure that people can live, that the healthcare systems can, can support people when they get sick, 
um, you know, there, there's such significant dependencies in place that, yeah. that show yes. that, you know, we are just not living in a sustainable world. And so, you know, all of, all of my identities come together. I will be very real with you. I am exhausted. Mm. I am tired. Mm-hmm. I am bone tired. And mm-hmm. I feel lucky enough to work in an organization where there is some flexibility, you know, because as a self-identified feminist organization, there's a recognition that people's lives are set up differently and therefore their needs are different. Mm. And so to work for an organization that is responsive to those needs um, has been a real blessing. But I would just say, you know, what it, what is very clear to me is that things need to change. Yes, um, yes. We cannot continue to function at this pace. I mean, one thing COVID did provide was a, a significant slowdown. Um, in terms of pace, but but the world cannot continue to function in this way and in this pace. So, you know, for me, it's it's just a a real lesson in being able to step back, being able to only do what you can do yes. with the time that you have, yes. being you know being gentle with yourself, prioritizing your well being. Yes. For the first time, you know, I had to take a step back and say, for the for the you know, benefit of my mental health, I cannot do this right now. Or I, I, this is, you know, I have to, I have to take time. I have to have space to rest. So, so I think it's a, it's a very strong reflection of, of the world that we're in and and the ways in which it doesn't work for us in the ways that it should. Yes. 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 Wow. Um, so many reflections there. Um, the thing that is sticking out to me the most, though, is this piece about, um, you know, people who are now without um, employment uh, because it was so much tied to a particular industry and then the impact that has on healthcare access. Um, mm-hmm. Like you had mentioned, you know, if people get sick, but even beyond just like sick in terms of like physical ailment, it's also kind of like that mental health component, right? That um, I was just messaging a close friend of mine and she said, you know, the system is just so messed up that healthcare is tied to employment, right? Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, if you mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you, oh, you don't have a job, so then you don't have this benefit. And there's so many people mm-hmm. who are struggling economically, but then also in terms of their health, their holistic health um, in this moment and things are being exacerbated even beyond what it was, even when they had a job. And now what do mm-hmm. they turn? Now what do they do? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's mm-hmm. so, so um, frustrating. And at the same time, you know, grateful that there are people like you and uh, the organization that you're at that is actually supporting you know, the operational pieces for people to just be able to survive and continue to do the yes. great work that they're doing in the communities, because that is so key and important. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, um, I think I was talking to a friend of mine and we just said, you know, this is a moment of a reckoning. Mm-hmm. Um, it is that reckoning where you know, you either change gear completely or you, you just get stuck. You know, you yes. get the, the you, you have to change gear. You have, for some people it's changing gear. For some people it's changing direction. For mm-hmm. some people it's slowing pace. 
they just their ha- change has to happen, yes. you know, and, and I think that's just very reflective of the moment. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and change does not always feel good. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all feeling that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, every everybody's impacted by that right now, um, but very necessary because um, while while it doesn't feel good, it's also amplifying and shedding a light on things that seem to be those people, those people's issues or that particular group, you you know, now it's like, Oh no, 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 no. This, this is a shared groaning that's going on right now. (laughs) This is a shared, a a shared moment, no matter whether you're at um, quote unquote, the top of the economic ladder Mm -hmm. or um, you're towards the the lower portion of the economic ladder, uh, you know, in society and across the globe. So, yeah. Mm Um, so I know, um, and I meant to like mention this earlier, uh, about, you said that you, you, you're at a feminist organization, um, and you identify as a feminist and feminism still has a negative connotation uh, in a lot of communities and in a lot of spaces. Um, you also have, you know, those that choose to identify as a womanist versus a feminist. So, um, you mentioned that feminism is not only one thing. So, what does feminism mean to you? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I get asked this question a lot. <laughs> um, and, you know, um, I was trying to think of a metaphor, like how would I describe feminism differently than I have before? And all I, you know, the thing that kept coming to my mind is like, when you think of, of a body, feminism being the heart um, and the heart that, you know, pumps blood, helps different parts of your body um, function, um, you know, captures feeling, all of these things. So for me, feminism is like, is like the heart in our body, right? Mm -hmm. But more um, specifically than that, I would say feminism for me is, is my political home, but it's also, it's also tied to my identity. It's Mm -hmm. it's who I am. It's what I stand for. And for me, um, I would say feminism is really centered in justice. Um, it, it, for me, feminism is about a world that, that prioritizes justice for all. It's a world that centers choice. Um, it's a world, feminism for me is, is a means by which we experience happiness. It's mm-hmm. the means by which we enable pleasure. Um, you know, women aren't allowed to talk about pleasure. We're not allowed to talk about, you know, what makes us feel good, you know, what we deserve how we want to be addressed, what we want to be called, what our pronouns are. You know, feminism for me is a world of all of those things. It is a world where we live free from violence. I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, what that means in the region. Um, And for me, in just very real ways, feminism sits with you in all of your intersections. So for me, feminism um, sits with my identity as a Black woman, as a Black person, um, you know, it, it sits in terms of how I understand class, mm. um, in terms of how I understand my sexuality. Feminism is that political home that brings together all of the parts of who we are and really is about calling for us to be the best versions of ourselves. Um, and I know that's not sort of an academic definition and, you know, what you might read in a book, 
But feminism is the way that I want to raise my daughter to see the world and the ways that I want her to understand how people should be treated mm. and, you know, what she deserves, what mm. she, who she is, who mm-hmm. she, what she stands up for. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what feminism means to me. And to be honest, I think that in, in recent times, we really do get caught up in labels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people do not identify, self-identify as feminists for, for a number of different reasons. In the Caribbean, I know one example that I've heard is that feminism was always seen to be something out that was a bit more academic. Mm. Um, and so, you know, but the work that grassroots women are doing in the region is feminist work, regardless mm. of how you look at it. Um, and so for me, you know, a name is just, you know, you can call yourself anything. Mm. But for me, again, it goes back to the metaphor that I gave of the heart. It's like the heart of what you do continues to to just stand true in that belief of justice, in that belief of choice, in that belief of freedom. Um, that to me is what feminism is and what it stands for and what I see in people. So I don't, you know, I can have a conversation and you can, you know, spend however long telling me you don't self-identify in that as as a feminist and that's fine but at the end of the day do we both want the same thing for the world in terms of um you know creating a better space for people so so that's what it means to me it's how I try to you know organize and live my life and build relationships with people and to be clear I think that feminism is also about getting it wrong I think that oftentimes when particularly I find when you know younger women come into feminism there's this very um militant approach yeah, that this, yeah. you know, this is what feminism is mm-hmm. um you know you can't be anything other than this and I think that feminism is about learning it's about humility it's about you know getting it wrong sometimes and being able to step back and say I didn't think about it that way before thank you for teaching me that I'm going to sit with that and adjust how I see the world right it's it's mm-hmm. that is the humility that comes with it so mm-hmm. so that's that's how I see it that is re- wow. That I mean, that is better than any academic <laughs> definition. <laughs> wow, I appreciate all of that. I appreciate uh, you know the the happiness uh, component of it, the justice, and also the unlearning and um, learning process. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and I mean, I truly appreciate you know just kind of your a collective um, identity and also just like the work, you know, you're also a creative and you're in this space and um, that is not the norm. (laughs) Um, Mm. People tend to be in a space of uh, giving, uh, you know, working at foundations or in philanthropy and have been seasoned, uh, you know, foundation officers and so on and so forth and um just the sector for time it has been very transactional right and what you're bringing Mm -hmm. to it um is not just the sense of transaction but also a sense of i am one with this community uh and uh reflecting on what the work means not just as you as uh, the one that's in the seat um, of philanthropy, but then also as a part of the the process. So um, hats off to you. And I'm just so honored to have you um, 
as mm -hmm. a part of a part of our 40th and then also just in the space of of this work so i'm i'm i feel very honored to be part of this conversation um and i know it's taken some time to get to this point so i really also appreciate your patience in in just writing it with me until until we can find um a good time but but I, I love that there are these platforms that enable us to have these conversations, yes. meet each other, connect with other folks. So, so thank you also for doing this work. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, so uh, we, in true fashion, we close each episode with a tea affirmation. Uh, so mm -hmm. I wanted to know what your tea affirmation is for our listeners. Um, so there's this saying, right, that um, I remember growing, when I was growing up in Nigeria, when you would, whenever we would travel by road, we would go on road trips, mm -hmm. um, you know, you'd see all these lorries or vans hmm. that would have, you know, different sayings at the back of it. Um, you know, they were, some of them were funny, some of them were serious, <laughs> some of them political. And there was one that I, that I always remember. Um, that said to be a man is not a one day job. And mm -hmm. I giggled because I, I thought, wow, it, you know, this is just only censoring men. So for me, my affirmation would be to be a feminist is not a one day job. Wow. Um, wow. It is the work. It is the work. It is the work. It is the work of speaking out when your voice trembles. It mm. is the work of supporting younger women coming up who, you know, want 10 minutes of your time. Mm. It is the work of supporting, you know, more established, I'll, I'll say more established folks who feel disconnected from digital spaces and activism to bring their voices into the conversation. It is the work of mobilizing resources for community. Mm. It is the work of challenging self. It is the work of sitting in the discomfort. I would say to be a feminist, is the work of living, of experiencing, of stepping into oneself in ways that, you know, are ways that call for true integrity. So for me, my affirmation, my my reminder to people that to be a feminist is not a one-day job. I love that. And it gave me chills. Wow. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, wow. That's, yeah, that that's definitely something to sip on for sure. <laughs> Um, and thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Again. Um, absolutely. How do people stay connected to you and your work? So you can check out um, organizationally the work that I do by visiting the website for the Equality Fund. If you just type in the Equality Fund in Google, you'll find us mm -hmm. um, on Twitter. I am Amina Olaiwala, and I dare you to try and spell that and find it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but you can find me on there as well. Um, and you can also visit my website, which also has links to my socials, which is aminadocracy.com. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much. It was a pleasure okay, having you. you. Very much. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Until we connect again, sip, sis, say la, share, and continue to serve.